Am I doing something wrong here? Why not turn this on here? So, so I might, uh, I might, it might be clumsy this morning, you know? But uh, I'll figure it out. It's good to see you. It's good to see you guys. Um, man, it, I, last week I was away, and it's weird to be away. I'm not away very often. But I, I had the, the privilege of uh, being in Lee Summit, uh, at Living Faith Lee Summit, um, uh, the, the church that Dan Renault pastors. And uh, I took the worship team with me. And they decided not to come back, apparently. No, no they're down in Harrisonville th- this week, so we're getting in a really bad habit um, of, of sending our worship team away uh, so we don't get them. You know, If they're not here, they're not really our worship team. Uh, but no, we wanted to be a blessing to the church down in Harrisonville. Um, and thank you uh, to the ladies this morning. Um, it was awesome. Our, our time was, was precious this morning. It was good to see Lydia in the mix. I do want to recognize real quick our graduates uh, from high school that are now with us. Yeah. So that's really exciting as well. Thank you, Miles, also for holding down the fort last week. I'm so thankful that there's a group of young men that I can count on uh, to take care of the pulpit. Even if the pulpit changes from week to week, um, I know that the men that are in it um, are going to, to be able to preach God's word with clarity. And I heard that it was really good. So Thank you for that. Um, I also want to uh, applaud the fact that several of our very own got married this weekend. Nick and Hannah got married, and our dear friends Carla and Hunter got married, which is really cool. It's been a busy weekend. Is anybody else tired from all the the weddingness? Lots of wedding stuff. You two are next. So get ready. Just a couple weeks till Kendall and Natalie get married. so, real quick, are you guys ready? I think I'm ready. I'm a little, where did my water go? Is it in here? Oh, see what I mean? Clumsy. I think I'm ready. I promised you, uh, well, I didn't promise. I didn't promise. I said that we were going to finish Romans, and that ain't happening. So be ready for that. We've still got a, maybe a couple more weeks of Romans left. Um, June 10th, Bible study leaders, Bible study leaders, are you with me? Are you paying attention? June 10th, Bible study leaders, my house after church. I need you to be there, okay? If you're gone on a missions trip or you're not going to be here, you need to send a representative. It's a very important meeting, okay? There will be lots of things said uh, that, we're gonna, that are going to help us set our agenda over the summer and into next school year, so I need you guys to be there. If you're not in a Bible study, if you're not in a Kaya Bible study, you're attending Sunday mornings and, and you're beginning to recognize that you're learning. <laughs> Reunited at last, right? Um, if you're not in a Bible study, you need to be in one. You need to be in one. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit even in today's sermon. Uh, our Bible studies are kind of the hub of our ministry. And this is where we get things done. A lot of our training happens in this context. Um, a lot of our accountability, a lot of our worship, a lot of our time of prayer 
um, happens in Bible study. So if you're not a, a part of a Bible study yet, you need to get a part of one. We want you involved in that. Um, now, we've got a lot of missions trips coming up. Yeah? Raise your hand if you're going to be... Jacinda, is all, is she already, she's with the team, isn't she? But she's leaving this week. Jacinda is, right? Isn't she? Um, Wednesday. Uh, raise your hand if you're going on a missions trip this summer. At all this summer, you're going on a missions trip. Okay, that's about, you know, maybe 10 of you here. Uh, plus, I know that a lot of the, the worship team is going to be gone this summer on, on a missions trip. We're going to pray. Uh, we're going to ask that the Lord would be in that, in that work. And we're going to ask that the Lord would be with us this morning. Right? Okay. Are you as excited as I am? I feel hyped, like before a, like a sporting event. Now, is that what happens when I'm gone a week and I come back? I feel like invigorated. Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time, and we thank you for your word. If it wasn't for your word, um, we wouldn't know uh, the message of Jesus Christ. We wouldn't know that we have a Savior. We wouldn't know what forgiveness is. Uh, we wouldn't know the complexity of your character. Uh, we wouldn't know what our job is. We wouldn't know our purpose in life. We wouldn't know what to speak. We wouldn't know the authority in which we're supposed to speak it with. And so we are, we are nothing without you. And we are nothing without your word. And so this morning we want to recognize your word and say thank you for it. God, we ask that it would be spoken with clarity this morning. That you would put me aside. And Lord, we would have a greater understanding of who you are and your expectations and your calling on our life because we've spent this time together. God, we pray for those who are in ministry this morning, those who are ministering down in Harrisonville, being a blessing to that church, encouraging them. We ask that you would be with them. You'd strengthen them. And that, Lord, uh, that the, the church in Harrisonville would be uh, grateful uh, for having been led into your throne room this morning by them. God, we pray for our missionaries, Lord, those who are going on short-term and even long-term. Lord, there are some people who are spending their whole summers away. And God, we want to pray for them. We want to pray that you would give them courage, that you'd give them strength, that you'd give them protection. And God, that, that they would know what their objectives are. We're going to be talking about uh, objectives this morning and, and what the nature of our message is. God, I pray that your message would be on their lips and that they would be prepared to speak it and they'd be prepared to live it. They'd be protected as they go from Satan, uh, from the attacks, Lord, from their flesh, from illness, all the things, the stumbling blocks that, that um, Satan seeks to put in their way. Lord, we pray those things down. And we ask for your power and your strength and your protection and your mighty will to be done in their lives. God, we're, we're thankful for Jesus Christ. And we pray all these th things in, in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So... Romans, we are getting close to the end. And guys, I think, I think, uh, I don't know, we might have a, sh a short hiatus in a small book, but I think we're headed towards Acts. Yes. So I think we're going to teach Acts next. Pray for me uh, that there be wisdom there. Um, but I think that that's where God wants us to be. But Romans has been so good, it's been so sweet. It's been such a great book to us, and if... If this is your first time here, or maybe you haven't been with us in this study, we've been at it almost a year and a half, well, a year and a half now. We have been at it a year and a half. Romans, it's a big book. There's a lot there. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. 
And this church was an eclectic church. It was in a metropolitan city. It was a, there was a huge population in Rome at this time. It was the center of everything in the world, right? And the empire of Rome spread very far, right? And this was kind of the hub and the center of all the action. And um, just like every major city, there was all kinds of people there. There was all types of people. And there was a small church that was beginning to sprout up. And people were beginning to meet in the name of Jesus Christ, saved Jews, people who had professed uh, uh, to be uh, Jewish believers were now coming to know Jesus Christ. And, and then on the other hand, we have uh, the idolatrous, uh, idolatrous Gentiles who were coming to know Jesus. And these people were beginning to worship together. And they had a lot of questions. right? They didn't have the benefit of the completed word of God. And so they were uh, trusting in the apostleship of those leaders of the early church to teach them what it mean, meant to be followers of Jesus Christ. And this letter that Paul wrote was to help substantiate what the gospel was, what the terms of the gospel were, to give them guidance in terms of what prophecy meant, particularly for the Jews moving forward, and then what it meant to have the character of a believer. What, did it, what does it mean to live as a Christian? And that's what the letter has taught us. Uh, even today, it's helped us in the same regard. Um, now, for us, there has been so much gleaned from the study of this book, so much that informs the way that we see our relationship with Jesus, so much that informs uh, the way that we should live as we enter uh, into a season of our ministry where there's a lot of growing going on. I think that this letter has been really good, that this study has been good. There's, there's been a lot of growth. When I first came into the ministry, there was about 65 people uh, in the ministry, right? And God has done a work, and uh, we've grown to about 120, right? Like you think, we're missing about 20 to 30 people here today. We don't even have enough seats. If they were here, we'd probably have to have more seats, right? I mean, um, it would be full. It's a packed house. And we've got a lot of growing believers, a lot of young believers who are hungry to know what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to know Christ? What does it mean to pursue him in his word? And so this letter has been very good for us in terms of our own growth and development. And as of late, we've been studying more specifically what it means to have the character of a Christian, what it means to be a minister. And if we can go back just a couple months, in Romans chapter 14, we looked at this idea of what it means to put other people ahead of you, what it means to put our differences aside that we might be able to minister the gospel together. There's a lot of differences in this room. And many of you can recognize that by just looking around, you know, in a, in a very visual way, very tangible way. We are different. You know, we have people that come and attend this ministry that are from all over the world, that have backgrounds that, that are so different from one another. But then even just experientially, things, stories that we have, right? Some of you have grown up your whole lives in church, right? You've grown up your whole lives with Christianity, Right? And some of you, this is still very, very new. And we've got all these different people coming together. It's just like the church in Rome. Right? It's just like the church in Rome. And we need to, to make sure that we set our focus and attention on what God's purpose is for us. And so Romans chapter 14 taught us what it meant to, to, to put aside our differences that we can come and be centered on the gospel. And then we got into Romans chapter 15, where we're at now. And the beginning of this letter talks about preferring other people over ourselves, right? The, the beginning of this chapter talks about how to put other people ahead of us. And that's what we've been looking at. 
And then we talked about, the last time we came together, I, I don't know if you remember, I came at you kind of hard. You guys remember that? Yeah. I hope so. But we talked about leaders especially, that it's our job and our responsibility as ministers of the gospel to pursue those who are wayward. To not give up on those who haven't been in attendance or, or friends of ours that we know are struggling. We need to be there for them and we need to pursue them in love. We talked about that. We also talked about the importance of prayer in that work. We talked about praying. <laughs> Are you guys with me? You're looking at me very intently. But I want to, are you in there? Yes. Are you in there? Okay. Some amens occasionally would be warranted <laughs> as we proceed through the study today. If you can just even head nod. <laughs> are beneficial, right? Um, I think I think in the summer months we have a tendency to stay up late, right? We have a tendency to stay up late, and I know that that can be a hindrance. Don't let it be this morning, all right? Let's be engaged. So here we are today. In particular, I want to focus on the nature of our message, the message of a minister, and that's the name of today's message is. A minister's message. What is the minister's message? What is the nature of what we speak? What is the message and how should it be delivered? And what is the intention? What is the objective of having a message? Let's start in verse 14 of chapter 15. Do you guys have your Bibles? Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's a good sign if you have your Bible. All right, verse 14. Let's start there. And I myself... Also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Okay, so we're going to slow down and look at this. And we're going to first address what Paul's talking about here. There's, there, he addresses the tone of the letter, okay? So this is what he's doing. He recognizes that there is a potential, there's a possibility that the Romans, upon reading this letter, might take a defensive posture, right? So, so Paul's looking back and he's saying, of all the things that I've said to you, all the things that I've written to you here, I want to make sure that you understand why I'm coming at you the way that I am. Now, notice first of all that he starts by affirming them. In verse 14, he affirms them. He says, look, I'm persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So he starts his exhortation by saying to them, look, I know that, that, that there is some maturity and there's some fruitfulness in your midst, and I'm proud of that. But let me explain to you why I'm coming at you the way that I am, that I'm coming at you with boldness. He reminds them that his boldness is God's grace being dispensed through, through him. Look at verse 15. I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me in God. Over the last few months in studying Romans, we've learned that, that grace gives us things. 
That grace gives the believer the liberty to love. Grace gives the believer the ability to pursue and to care for and to sacrifice for others. But listen carefully. Look, grace sometimes means speaking boldly. Sometimes it means speaking boldly. And some of us don't like to do that as ministers of the gospel. So why so bold? Why does Paul need to write with such boldness? Now listen, before we get into that, we live in a culture that has systematically purged itself of almost all accountability. Have you guys recognized that? Right? When you assess the world around you, do you see that the world has, has worked real hard at removing accountability almost at every level? I mean, think about our government and the lack of accountability that exists in American government. And that's not just in America. This is, this is all over, right? This is not just a United States issue. In the world, we are seeking to kind of remove ourselves from accountability. And this is why we have governors in Missouri who think they can get away with doing any, any type of, you know, disgusting act, right? They think they can get away with it. Because accountability is thin. You know, we also see in our society, and even in our churches, in our, in our relationships with one another, we resist accountability. We resist other people speaking boldly in our lives, don't we? We don't like it. But how is that working for us? How is the lack of accountability working for us? Where is it that relativism has gotten us? We're just more confused and more angry than we've ever been, right? So lack of accountability has only just resulted in wickedness, really. Here's our first key point. In order for the church to impact our world, we, we must adopt a posture of boldness. We must adopt a posture of boldness. Let me explain that to you a little bit. When I say boldness, um, I don't mean abrasiveness. Okay? That's the first thing I want to say. Is that boldness and abrasiveness, those are two different things. Okay, boldness means without hesitation and unwavering. Abrasive means obnoxious, jerky, right? Mean, contentious, right? Now let me explain this to you. The Bible is divisive enough in and of itself. Isn't it? Isn't the Bible just by its very nature divisive? Doesn't it divide homes? Doesn't it divide people's spirit from their flesh? I mean, the Bible speaks very explicitly about the fact that the Word of God is divisive. So we don't need to add to that contentious behavior or abrasive speech. We are to deliver God's Word in spirit and in truth. We are supposed to deliver it with love. Right? Now, Boldness means without hesitation and unwavering. Boldness in the church is necessary because it says, I am not afraid to say the hard thing in hard moments for the sake of those I love. This is what uh, Sam was actually talking about this morning. This was Sam's message to us this morning. And listen, believers, look, a lot of you are timid. You're introverted. And this has become your excuse to not admonish or exhort other people. This has been your, your excuse 
to not engage at a level of teaching and provocation. But it can't be. It can't be. This is, we are called to deliver a message with a tone of boldness. It should be our tone. We should be unafraid. Now, Paul also addresses how his tone is only the tone because of the tenor or the purpose for which he speaks with. In other words, his boldness, his justification of his boldness is related to the fact that he has a purpose in what he's saying. You know, a lot of people are bold as it concerns their favorite sports team. And they will preach the gospel of the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> that's, that's my team of choice. Okay? And I am bitter any time that they don't, that they don't succeed. Okay? Now, I could speak that with boldness, right? And neglect to speak the gospel with boldness. And a lot of us are there. We've got things that we trumpet, that we, that we hold on to that we have liberty to speak with boldness, but we somehow neglect to speak the gospel with boldness or to speak the message of Christ with boldness. Many of us are preachers, but very few of us are preachers of truth. See, Paul justifies his tenor here. What is his objective? Okay, let's look at verse 15. Paul says that his objective is to put them in mind. To put them in mind. In other words, it wasn't his intention to shame or to scorn but to humbly instruct them in God's word. This is called exhortation. That's what this is called. An exhortation is the responsibility of the preacher, the teacher, the discipler, the Bible study leader, every minister of God. Now listen, Bible study leaders, you don't have to show me your hands. This, this goes to any of the disciples, anybody who's discipling or who's leading a Bible study. Okay, You don't have to show me your hand, but think in your heart, do you struggle with holding the people that you're responsible for accountable? Is it hard for you to get on the phone and call them or ask them out to coffee because you know that the conversation is going to be difficult? Of course. Of course. That doesn't mean that you're not responsible to do it. No one said that it was going to be easy to speak boldly. It's not easy. In fact, that's the reason why Paul is saying, hey, look, guys, let me explain to you. This is why I'm speaking to you boldly. Right? He's justifying himself because it's not an easy thing to do. Exhortation is the responsibility of every minister of the gospel. And if you know that your job is to minister the gospel, then you have to be an exhorter. You have to be willing to speak boldly. Now, young believers in Kaya, don't be concerned with, with what you don't know. Okay? Right? Don't be concerned with what it is that you don't know yet. See, it's our responsibility to teach you. It's our responsibility to pour into you. It's our responsibility to exhort you that you would know the things of God's word, the things that you don't yet know. Okay? That's the responsibility of the leaders. That's Paul's responsibility here in this letter. Now, believer, those of you who've been around for a long time, it's our responsibility to remind you, to put into remembrance what you've already been taught. So you aren't off the hook 
because you know a thing or two. See, this should be the nature of the ministry in Kaya, is that we're constantly encouraging and strengthening and speaking conviction into one another's life, that we should be about admonishment, that we should be about exhortation. This is who we should be. You know, very few of us like to be put in mind. We don't like it. You know, it's often inconvenient and uncomfortable to be reminded or held accountable to live the truths of Scripture. You know, the funny thing is, many of us, it's funny, we've signed up for the gospel. You know? You guys, you know, it's funny. Have you ever had, you know, we used to do this a lot. We'd pass the clipboard in main service. Like if there needed to be cookies at Mission Focus. You know, we used to do that a lot, didn't we? I'm sure we'll be doing that again, right? They passed the clipboard, right? If, hey, are you willing to bring some cookies to Mission Focus? Put your name here, as well as your contact information, your, your, your phone number, your email address, your social security number, <laughs> okay? So that we can hold you accountable to bring the cookies, because there must be cookies, now listen, many of us have signed up for the gospel, but yet we don't want to be held accountable to what we profess. We don't want to be held to the standards of the word of God. And so what we do is we hide. We hide. You know, some of you, maybe you were once in a, attending a Bible study, and now you're not going to Bible study. And you know what? You can have all the reasons why you're not attending Bible study, but really, at the end of the day, the only reason you're not attending Bible study is because you don't like accountability. There's no other reason. You can have all kinds of excuses. People don't go to Bible study because they don't like to be held accountable. I mean, we're all for each other. We love one another. We're here to strengthen each other. We have to be putting ourselves in a position to both exhort and to be exhorted. So here's key point number two, and this is a warning. The church's failure to exhort will be our inv invitation to stray. Our failure to exhort one another, to hold each other accountable to what God's word says, to put into remembrance, our failure to do that is actually just an invitation to let people get away with whatever that it is that they want to justify in terms of sin. And we don't even know what we're doing. As, as leaders, we don't know that our lack of involvement and our lack of pursuit and our lack of exhortation, we don't think that actually what we're doing by putting off that phone call, by putting off that conversation, is that we're inviting people to just continue down their paths. We don't think about it that way. Because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for everybody involved, isn't it? To exhort and, and, and to do that. And then a lot of us who are hiding... A lot of us who are hiding, what we're doing is we're just choosing a path of disengagement. You're going to end up far away, brother, sister. You're going to end up in a place of darkness. Does, there, does anybody remember getting lost as a kid? I, t I used to tell this all the time to the when I, we were in the high school when I was in the high school ministry, or middle school. I like to give this illustration. So this is a throwback for y'all. Yeah. <laughs> But you, you remember being at the mall or like in Sears? Sears is like done, by the way. <laughs> Sears is the new Kmart. 
No one, some of you guys in here are so young, you don't even know what a Kmart is. But in the 80s, Kmart was a, was a stronghold. Okay. You ever remember being like in those department stores, and you know the circular racks? And they're placed in such a way, it's like a dense forest. You can't see through the trees, is it? Like, and you're so short. Like, it's almost as though, the de- like, Sears designers, the environmental designers, were thinking nothing about small children, right? <laughs> And you'd get, you would, like, your parents would just walk around one of those circular racks, and then they'd be gone forever. In your mind, <laughs> they were gone and never coming back. You know that feeling in your heart? But it happens so quickly, doesn't it? And that's the way that it works in our faith as well. A lot of you guys don't know it. But because of your lack of accountability and your inability to put people in your lives, uh, leaders in your lives that are going to speak hard truths to you, you put yourself in a position where you can stray and you can get lost. And before you know it, you'll be on a path of darkness and you won't really know how to get back by, your, by yourself. You won't know. Accountability is crucial. Ministry is relational. And healthy relationships are accountable relationships. Our lives have to be open to constructive feedback and instruction from our peers and those who are our leaders in ministry. See, listen to what Peter says about exhortation or what it means to put people in remembrance. 2 Peter 1.12 says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to you, to putting you all, always in remembrance of, of these things, though you know them. Like, you already know these things. I'm going to remind you of, of them. Don't be annoyed. I'm going to say things that you already know. And be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle. This is so interesting. Like, there's so much here. This is prophetic of his death. (coughs) But even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. In other words, I'm going to say things again and again and again. So don't go grow weary. Be refreshed. Be reminded. And this is what we need to be. You know, there's a story that I found, a story about the earliest church in Central Africa, where the, the converts to Christianity early on um, have a testimony. And one village in particular has this testimony that they would go out the members uh, of this village would go out and they would have private devotions. And they would go down into the thicket, down to the, to the wooded areas, uh, to be by themselves for private devotion. And in time, everybody had their special place that they went to, and they would wear a path down in the grass where they would go and worship and be with Christ, Right? And the beauty of that is, as a result, if one of these believers began to neglect prayer, it soon became apparent to all the others. And they would uh, kindly remind one another of their negligence by saying, Brother, sister, the grass grows on your path. What a beautiful uh, story and parable for us of how we should hold one another accountable. And you know, when you're not following Christ, it it does become apparent to people You can't avoid that. People are going to see it. They're going to see that you're struggling. And they should see it. 
And guess what? They should pry. They should hold you to that standard. And you don't get to be angry about that. But likewise, it must be our responsibility when the grass grows on our path to be held accountable, to open ourselves up to accountability. We can't, it's not right for us to give words of admonishment and exhortation and not be willing to also receive them. Please have the spirit that you want other people to have. Key point number three, a minister of Jesus is willing to both receive exhortation as well as dispense it. A minister of Jesus Christ is willing to both receive exhortation as well as dispense it. You know what they call it when someone wants to speak what they know and not receive it? They call it hypocrisy. It's like the most dreaded word. It's the most like dreaded thing that you can call someone is a hypocrite. I hope never to be called a hypocrite. Isn't that the worst? You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Now listen to me. I've never, I've never heard this, but I, I thought about that saying about accountability. And I realized that this is a reciprocal act. Right? Both are iron, and both are sharpening. Right? It's not one sharpening another. This is iron sharpening iron. And as much as we want to give and admonish and exhort, we also likewise have to receive exhortation and accountability. This is what it means to be a mature minister. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the ministry of mature believers who are going out into the world to disciple, to evangelize, to disciple, to lead Bible studies, to strengthen other people, right? Isn't this what we all want to be as mature Christians? We want to be mature believers. And a mature believer exhorts. And a mature believer receives exhortation. Now let's talk a little bit more about a minister, the, the message of the minister itself. Okay? Yeah. Are we good? We got all of our notes taken down so far. I'm super thirsty today. Okay. So a minister has a message. You've got a message. Yeah? A message. Messages are spoken. Messages are written. It's communication. Now, the message that Paul had was centered on the gospel. Let's look at verse 16. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering... The gospel of God. Paul is explaining that it's his responsibility in writing the letter to the Romans to express the gospel truth. He has no other objectives than to do that work. He is a minister with a specific message, and that is Jesus. His death, burial, resurrection, and all its implications. His job is to be a messenger. That's his job. And this is evident in the content of this letter. This letter provides for us in more fully than any other epistle, any other letter that we see in the New Testament. This letter provides for us the fullest and most well-rounded perspective on the acceptance of the gospel, the nature of sin, 
the nature of our flesh, the nature of, the, of our faith, the lordship of Jesus Christ, the character of the Christian. This is the most full explanation anywhere in the New Testament that we have. And he says here, look, this is my job, is to give you gospel truth. That's my job. Don't take that away from me. See, he's committed to his responsibility without fear of the outcomes. Now, this is the important part that I want to get to you. Paul knew the secret. He knew the secret. And it's the secret that every good minister knows. You want to know what it is, don't you? Oh, it's very simple. And it's been said already today. The word does not return void. That's the secret. The secret to speaking boldly and to professing the gospel is that it doesn't really matter what happens. Your job is very simple and very plain. Your job is to preach and teach the gospel to every man, woman, child. I don't have animals, right? I'll never have an animal in my home. Animals poop in your home. You know it. You know it. And you can say, but they're so cuddly and great and amazing. And yes, they do poop in my house on the floor. We could talk about this later. I'm distracting you. Some of you are despising me right now. No, but listen, if I had animals in my house, I'd preach the gospel to them too. You preach the gospel to every living creature. That's your responsibility. And it's not your job to be too concerned about the outcomes. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. You just believe that God's going to do the work, and he is going to bring in a harvest. That's what you trust the Lord for. You just always trust the Lord for his outcomes, for his, his work to be done in this world. Let's talk about trusting God for his outcomes. Verse 16 says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by who? The Holy Ghost. Not sanctified by you. Sanctified by the Holy Ghost, right? While Paul's responsibility was to minister Christ, the primary objective was to see people conform to Christ. Now listen, so often we neglect to understand this truth. Okay, many of us neglect to minister the gospel and then we act surprised when we're fruitless. Like a lot of us think about our lives and we're like, well, why isn't God using me? Why is it that I don't have a disciple? You know, why is it that I haven't, I haven't been used and you know what? A lot of the times, it's just because you've neglected to speak up the way Paul did. Because you've neglected boldness. But on the other hand, others will neglect the Spirit by owning the outcomes. <laughs> they do speak the Word of God, but then when things don't return to them the way they anticipate, or people aren't responsive the way that they want, they get upset as though, as though that work belongs to them. And it doesn't. 
That just leads to stress and frustration and burnout. That's what that does. Trust God with the outcomes. Key point number four. You know, Paul's job was to speak. But it was the Spirit's job to sanctify. Paul's job was to write letters. But it was the Spirit's job to give righteous life. That's what he supplies. The ministry of the gospel belongs to us. The outcomes are between the Holy Ghost and the individual will of man. And we have to believe that, or we will grow frustrated in ministry. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's the Holy Spirit's job to provoke. It's it's His job. We just speak the gospel. You know, we aren't saying that it's wrong. um, Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let's look at, let's look at, are you guys got this? This is a long one, isn't it? I don't know. Okay. This pulpit is very big, too. That doesn't help. Does the pulpit is in the way. What I'm, I, there's a pulpit that exists. It's like the holy grail of, the, of the, uh, the pulpits. And it's this tiny, weak-legged pulpit that exists in the east balcony. And if someone could retrieve it, like if there was a mighty man of God, right? This is like David and his mighty men. I just, if someone could retrieve this, there would be great reward. <laughs> it's the pulpit that I it's the pulpit that I was I learned to preach from. From the very beginning it was there with me. This is like the sword of Goliath. Right? Um, okay. So verse six, uh, 17, moving on. I have, therefore, where, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ, in those things which pertain to God. Okay. I have therefore, whereof I may glory, through Jesus Christ, in those things which pertain to God. What's this saying? The message itself was for God's glory. Paul's glory was residual. Okay, let me explain it. Paul is not boasting here in himself, but rather in Christ, and in what Christ has done, and what Christ will do. Any godly outcomes, is what he's saying, any godly outcomes, I may find glory in because he's glorified. Does that make sense? Paul is is finding appreciation and value and glory and honor knowing that God is being glorified. This is super important. So many Christians today serve Christ with the wrong motivations. You know, perhaps they want attention from leadership. I I would bet everybody in this room can say that there's been a time in their life where they've ministered with the hope that they receive attention. Right? I mean, I can can honestly say I've done that. I've done that. You know, maybe they want uh, to earn their way into more visible positions. They want to feed their insecurities with, you know, well done, brother. Well done, sister. That's, what, that's the way you have to say it. If you include brother, you have to say it like an old deacon, like an 80-year-old deacon. Well done, brother. Right? That's, that's the way the people spoke in the church that I grew up in. Great job. You're so, you're so gifted. I'm so proud of you. And so many people are serving and ministering that they might receive glory to themselves. But key point number four says this. A mature minister always points to Christ. 
a mature minister, when those things are sent their way, there's nothing wrong with people being thankful for your service. But maturity says, I can contextualize that. I can say to myself, self, this doesn't really belong to you, this glory. And you can receive thankfulness because there is glory for you, residual glory, right? That comes as a byproduct of serving God. You've yielded your life to God. It's okay for people to thank you. There's some of us who are very self-righteous. And when someone says, hey, thank you so much, and you're like, no, no. All glory be to God. <laughs> you know, you like cut them short. They're like saying, thank you, no. Oh. <laughs> Wicked and backslidden Christian, don't thank me. <laughs> thank Jesus of Nazareth. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Now listen to me. Right? The right context says this. You know what? I did yield myself to God. And God did use me. Thank you for acknowledging that. It's the thing that I care about most in the world. Thank you for acknowledging that in my life. Man, isn't God good? That we can receive glory as a byproduct of the fact that his name is glorified. You know, an illustration of this is the fact that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't think, you know, Charlie Parker, you guys know who that is? Yeah. Like, really famous jazz musician. I like jazz. This is a secret love of mine, is I like jazz music. Did you guys know that about me? I like jazz. You know, Charlie Parker is like, is like our beautiful uh, jazz Kansas City icon, right? Like the bird, right? And, uh, and he played saxophone. Now, listen, no one acknowledges and speaks highly of Charlie Parker's saxophone in Kansas City, right? We talk about Charlie Parker. We say, man, what, what a saxophonist, right? How versatile is he? There's no one ever been like that. He was groundbreaking in his approach to improvisation. In, insane, right? No one says, wow, that was an amazing saxophone. <laughs> right? We are just instruments. We are tools. No one, no one brags about a piece of ceramics. They, they brag of the ceramicist. Right? They brag on the potter. You know, but you know what? Isn't it great that Charlie Parker probably really loved his saxophone? Charlie Parker loved his saxophone. Probably had a name for it. It was probably Beulah. Beatrice. I don't know. But you know what? It's enough for us to know that God loves us. And that he's given us everything. And that, that, that we are his glory. That he cherishes us. We don't need the accolades of men, our glory is the residual glory of God. In every instance, we must know that our glory and God's glory get to coexist. Where our yielding meets God's handiwork, there is glory for him and for us. It's great. Paul knew that. We need to make sure that our message is about glorifying God. Next, 
The message, the message was by God's Holy Spirit. Okay, it was by God's Holy Spirit. So this is a, this is a big one. Big one. You ready? Yeah. Ready. Verse 18. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders. And look, you see that? By word and deed and mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about unto, I never can say this word, Illyricum. Is that right? Do we feel good about that? Illyricum, I'm, I'm sticking with it. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So, let's talk about signs and wonders real quick. Paul was an apostle and was empowered to perform mighty signs and wonders. The miracles God, that God gave Paul to do were signs and that they, they came from God and they revealed Christ to others. They were a sign. You guys know what a sign is, right? When we're driving, there are signs. They tell us where to go and what to do. Okay, so these miracles were signs in that they pointed people to Christ. They were wonders in that they aroused the wonder of people. Are you with me so far? Yes. Miracles were given to the apostles to authenticate the messenger and the message. But their purpose was always to, to open the way for the preaching of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore we ought to give uh, the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and, and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Listen, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, by Jesus, right? And was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Listen, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So what is it that we see there? The thing I want you to catch is this, is that the signs and the wonders were intended to point people back to Jesus. Amen. That's what they were for. 1 John 5, 6 says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For they are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Okay, this is a great passage. I ask that you study it at some point. So there's three things that come from heaven that bear record of who Christ is. The Father... The Word, which is also Jesus Christ, as well as the incarnate Word in our lives, the Word of God, and the Spirit, right? And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood. The water and the blood, that's, hum the, that's humanity. And, the, and, they, and these three agree in one. So you have, what is it that's working in this world? What is it that's working in this world? Well, it's people that are messengers, and it's the Spirit that's a messenger. And the Spirit does one thing, and we should also do one thing, and that is to point people to the gospel. Okay, so key point number six. Any authentic work of the Spirit will always point to Christ. Okay, now why is this important? Why is it important for us to say this? Any authentic work of the Spirit will always point to Christ. Because so much of what we see today that is done in the name of the Spirit is actually a distraction from Jesus Christ. 
And many of the things in this world today that are supposedly signs and wonders, miracles wrought by the Holy Spirit, are a distraction from Jesus Christ himself. What they do is they often point to people and their responsibilities and what the expectations are upon that person. And they rob Jesus Christ of his glory. They are a distraction to people to even receive the gospel. Okay, that's a hard word for some of us this morning. You know, Paul refused that kind of attention in Acts chapter 14. He heals a man, and they want to make it. You guys remember the story? I preached it at the fall retreat uh, a couple years ago. Um, he heals this man, right? And they want, to, they, they want to call him God. They think that he's a God. And he freaks out. And all he's, he, all he's trying to do is point the attention back to God and show them that the miracles and the signs and the wonders have nothing to do with him. He understood that. But yet we live in a world today where we justify signs and wonders. That's a different message. We justify them, okay? We take biblical things out of context. We apply them to the wrong people group. And then what we do beyond that, the worst part about it, is that we often receive the glory from it. And we use it as an opportunity to bring attention to ourselves, and that's just too bad. Let's talk about what we're supposed to do. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by what? Okay, by word and speech. And that's the part that we're responsible for today. The Spirit of God empowered Paul to share the word, and the purpose was to make the Gentiles obedient. It was by word and deed that the apostles shared the good news. Now, we may not be able to perform the miracles today, right? since that was a special apostolic gift for that time period, but as Christians, we can do the same work by word and deed. We can minister the message by word and by deed. We have the cap capacity to share the love of God with the lost around us. Here's a great illustration. I did a wedding this Friday in Nick and Hannah. And, uh, and I don't know if you know them very well, but I've known them, I guess, people were saying I've known them for like 10 years. Ugh, that's a long time. I'm getting so old, man. I've known them for a while. Um, but so, you know, there was a lot of people there uh, that were saying, and this was in the, my message, but also just up among the people in the toasts, you know how people do toasts at weddings? And among the conversations with people is, is this. Can you believe how different Nick and Hannah are now? Can you believe it? They've changed so much in the last six months. They're just like completely different people. The way that they live and the way that they talk is just so different. And you know what? We don't really know. I mean, I guess it has something to do with this Jesus thing, but we don't know how they got there. But you know what? We really like it. They seem to have so much joy. They have so much peace. They seem so sober-minded in the way that they do things. So here's the point to you, is that both in the way that they live and the way that they speak has impacted people for the sake of the gospel. Amen. That's their testimony, is that in word and in speech, in, in or word and in deed, they're living out what they believe. And that has power. Big surprise. That people take note of that, that they're impacted by it. This is who we should be. 
Let's look at all the things that we've talked about today. We can bring that up. Okay? What is it that we learned? We learned that the message should be bold. And if we struggle with boldness, man, that's okay. Christ wants to make you bold. And as you pursue him, you will grow in your boldness. But you know what? It should probably be something that you pray about actively. You should be actively praying about God giving you boldness by his spirit to speak truth. What else did we learn? We learned that the message was centered on the gospel. Paul's message was centered on the gospel. His his message in his letter to the Romans was centered on the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. And so should ours be. What's getting in the way of a gospel-centered message in your life? Are things distracting from your ability to do that? Maybe it's your testimony. Maybe it's the things that you focus on when you talk, when you get together with the boys, or you hang out with your girlfriends. Is the gospel the center of your life and your message? If you're a minister, a mature minister, it will be. The message itself was for God's glory. It's for God's glory that he would be lifted up, that his name would be proclaimed. That all of mankind would come to worship him. And we need to, our message needs to be for the same intention, to glorify the Son of Man. The message was by God's Holy Spirit. It came by his Spirit. And the truth is the same for us today. We need to be led by God's Holy Spirit in word and in deed to speak the truth in boldness that others might be impacted. But at the end of the day, the fruitfulness, it belongs to him. Those outcomes, they belong to him. And we can rest those things solely in his lap. God, I don't know. I just just had this conversation with my friend and I talked about you, but I I don't know, God. I give it to you. I don't know what you're going to do with it. I need you to do the work. Will you make this fruitful? Because I have I have no idea what to do in this instance. I don't have no any idea what to do with this family member. I've done what I think is the right thing, God. I want to honor you. I want to glorify you with my words. I want to point the way to Jesus. But I know your spirit wants to do the same thing. I know your spirit does that same work. And so will your spirit, even in my absence, do that same work in their life? These are the things that should be true of our message. And Christian, we have a mission to this world as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And this this mission has requirements. You don't get to do it however you want. You've got to do it God's way. And the message has to be right. And so in conclusion, as we go into a time of prayer, and, and if you ladies want to come up and lead us in worship, as we conclude, if there is some area of your life that does not match this standard for which the message should be preached. Let's deal with that. Can we do that? Grab your Bible study leader. Come up here, pray. Sit, in, sit where you're at. And ask that the Lord would help you to get the right perspective on what this message should look like in our lives. How can we be mature ministers of the gospel? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I love your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for him. Thank you that, Lord, whenever I come to your word, that your word points the way to Jesus. That whenever I go to prayer, that your Holy Spirit is driving me towards the finished work of Christ.